welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. I'm first year student uh, in my master's program at Bethel. Um, I moved up here, first time ever living outside of Des Moines, Iowa. Um, Micah tells us, or will tell you all the time about how I'm from Iowa. He loves to tease me about it. He, um, he has taken to calling me either Chris the intern or prosciutto, which prosciutto is made of, of like ham or like, and so pigs from Iowa. Anyway, so, um, and this didn't, this never really stuck. He really wanted it to stick. And then somebody on the retreat told me, I'm so sorry, what's your name again? All I can think of is prosciutto. And so Micah somewhere is just pumped about it. But anyway, um, Micah's left us this morning for the um, exotic, exciting shores of Mankato, Minnesota. Um, preaching at a friend's church. So we're going to continue the Moses series. Um, just in case you hadn't been around, I'll recap some of the things that we've we've done in the Moses series. We have done, um, right when Moses is born, his mother puts him in a basket, but the word in Hebrew is ark. So we were talking about what it means to uh, place something in an ark and, and release it into the water and trust that God is going to provide for us. Um, we've talked about the... Uh, the burning bush a lot of different times, actually. And we've, we've spoken about how uh, the first thing that Moses hears from this burning bush is his name calling him. And he says, Hineni, which is Hebrew for here I am. Not just here I am physically, but here I am in this moment. And talked about what it means to be present in the moment to all that God has for us. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, Micah gave a challenging teaching to give about Pharaoh's heart and how it's, it's poten- there's potential within the um, translation that, um, that instead of God making Pharaoh a puppet and getting what God wants out of Pharaoh, it's perhaps possible that it could read that hard, um, Pharaoh's will or his mind was hardened. Um, and so the only reason I mention that is because that's said again in our passage today. So if you have any questions about that at all, um, you can always go back and listen to the sermons on the podcast, which you can find on iTunes by searching Awaken Community, or at the website, which is awakencommunity.com. So um, we will go to our scripture reading today. Um, if you could stand like we do. Um, it is Exodus 14, verses 5 through 14. And... When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Pray with me.
Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to, to hear you in this space, God. Be with all of us in, in our speaking and in our hearing and for all of us in our understanding. We pray for your spirit, God, that you would speak into our lives so that this isn't a Bible story. This is, this is us. This is our story. God, be with Micah as he is at a, at a friend's church. May your spirit be with him and all the others there as well. And help us, God, to learn what it means to be still. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So um, I'll just set kind of um, a context for this. We've kind of jumped all around in the different um, teachings for uh, Exodus. And so what's just happened before this, as uh, Ed so well effectively chronicled, are the plagues. That's what people know about Exodus, is all of the plagues. And after that, um, which of course culminates, like Ed said, in the, um, in the slaughtering of the firstborn, um, not least of which is Pharaoh's firstborn son, he finally relented and said, go, leave. And, and he made that decision probably out of the, the anger and the sadness and the turmoil and all of the things that a parent has when losing a kid. This is, this is what Pharaoh was going through. And so he finally said, fine, take all of the Israelites who all have to leave, just go. And our Bible passage for today that we just read also says Pharaoh and his like advisors is one way that it's translated. And I imagine that Pharaoh in all of his distraught nature um, his his advisors came to him and said, I don't think you realize what you've just done. Because Pharaoh might have not completely understood the socioeconomic kind of implications of what's just happened. He has just released the lower class of the city, the one that do, the people that do all of the dirty work, and he just let them all go. And so they have essentially no workforce for the jobs that nobody else wants to do. Their society is built... A, upon oppressing these people. And all of a sudden, they're gone. And so Pharaoh finally relents and says, okay, you know, let's, we'll, we'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll chase them down. Um, and what he does is, it, it talks about 600 chariots. Now, when, when I say chariots, I don't want you to think like chariots of fire, the old slow-mo, like Olympic movies, or, or even for new school reference for anybody who'd, doesn't get chariots of fire, is in um, the Hunger Games when they bring them all out in the, the chariots and her dress is flaming and everybody's like, oh, that's so great. So I want you instead to think tanks because chariots were essentially the tanks of the day. First of all, wheels, awesome, a lot more effective. They're being pulled by horses, horses much better than camels, much probably a lot less smelly than camels, and, and lot, a lot quicker than donkeys. And 600 in our kind of culture today, we, we hear a lot about army size and, our, and soldier numbers. And 600 seems like quite a bit, but, you know, we've heard bigger. We were, you know, we've known the wars, we've studied them. And so you think to yourself, man, eh, it's not too terribly much. But the thing you have to understand is a chariot requires two soldiers to fulfill the needs of the chariot. There needs to be one driving and the other one to either throw a sling, like, you know, swing a sling or throw a spear, or most likely they just had a sword because they just come up on um, whoever is slower than them, which is anyone who doesn't have a chariot, and do what soldiers do. Um, and so you have this 600 chariots, and then the Bible says, and all the other chariots, so I don't know why they couldn't just throw that out there, but 
whatever. I, I think it gives you some context for size that we're talking about at least 1,200 soldiers. Maybe 15-ish hundred soldiers is probably a pretty good estimate. And this is Egypt, like the power of the day in almost every way. Their army is the best. They're, they are the richest. They have Their culture is the most developed. And that's where they are at this point. And you have that chasing after the, the Israelites who have, who have left. They've been sent out. And they've actually kind of traveled this, this scenic route because God is leading them around some things that might give them trouble. He doesn't want to no, shut down the party before it all starts. And so he's leading them around. And so there's actually a quicker way to get where the Israelites are going. And they have chariots and horses and lots of soldiers. So I just, like, I just wanted to paint that picture because let's contrast that now with the image of the Israelites. These people that we know, we think Israelites, children of God. Yeah, we know the whole story. And they, oh, they were in Egypt for a while. And then they got out. And then we learn about the other things that happened to them. But Egypt was in slavery for 400 years. There was not an, not an Israelite in the Exodus story that was exiled that knew what it was to be free. There was not one that didn't have the identity of slave ingrained in them from when they were born. They don't know what it's like. And so they've been exiled, and... When Pharaoh said, okay, go, he didn't say, okay, whoever wants to go. It was every Israelite needs to leave so God will keep, will, so their God will discontinue afflicting like he was doing. And so we have men and women, right? We also have the elderly. We have any women who are pregnant, any disabled, any sick, any hurt. These are everybody in this that falls under this community that's, they, they had to go. You had babies, infants, and they don't have chariots. That's a pretty safe assumption. They definitely did not have chariots. They probably didn't have camels because the camels were expensive because they're like trucks. They just keep going. Um, they don't, if they had anything, it was probably donkeys. Yeah, that's the only time you'll probably hear a camel compared to a truck. But um, there's, they, they, most of them were just walking. And anybody who's ever traveled in a large group knows, as my grandma would say, it's kind of like herding cats. You can't get a large group of people, especially with children, and, I mean, just those injured, they're trying to probably move at a pretty quick pace, but this, this is not an efficient way to travel. And in all honesty, I don't think that most of the Israelites knew or really grasped what was going on. See, we have the story of Moses confronting Pharaoh in these kind of courtroom scenes where Pharaoh, he, Moses is like, let my people go, and, my Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, no way. And then they, they do this back and forth, and then plagues come, and like, oh yeah, God's sending those plagues. But the Israelite people don't necessarily know what's going on. Because as Ed, and I love that Ed pointed this out, there's no way necessarily in certain ways for them to know what's happening to them. All they know is that these these gnats are here, that the water is turned to blood, that all of these things are happening, and they're having to deal with this simultaneously with the Egyptians. And then there's probably word that snuck in that this was their God that was doing this. But their God hadn't spoken for 400 years. Keep in mind, they're the chosen people of God, but none of them have ever heard or seen witness of that. 
how are they supposed to know that they're God's people? Because to them, he had been quiet and obviously did not care. But among all of this, they're following this, this guy, whoever he is. He actually grew up in Pharaoh's household and then left town and grew up kind of more out there and then come back. So he, he had never actually been a member of their immediate community. So they're following this guy that's saying, okay, you know, they're, he's, he's a member of their community. He's going to lead. And so they're following this guy. And there's probably amongst all of this tension of being taken out of everything that was familiar, there was probably just a little bit of hope because they have all their friends and their family. They're told that their God is speaking to them and that they're going to a new land. That's hope, especially for people who had known nothing else. But as, you, as they go on, they, as they leave their security, I mean, oppressed security, but still security, as they, as they exit and there's a little bit more um, they go a little farther, and they think, oh, it's a little, you know, we don't have as much food as we did in Egypt. We were, we were oppressed, but there's, you know, at least we could eat. And, wow, this is really hard. How long are we going? Do we really know anything about this guy? Like, <laughs> like what's happening? You know, there's, you, can, you can tell that there's, it's kind of a slippery slope that, that you're going down. And right at the point where they're probably, that they're camping by the sea, the Bible captures this moment that just speaks volumes to me and I think can speak volumes to everybody. They look up and they see Egypt come over the hill. They did not know that they were being pursued. They were told that they were being set free, that, that they were being given this new identity, something completely different, something worthwhile. And then all of a sudden, there it is, coming over the hill, that vision that had oppressed them their entire lives. It's almost as if they had had hope, and then they saw it, and they said, oh yeah, that's right, that's who I am, obviously. How, and that's, that's the response that they give. They say, why did you bring us out here? We should just be back. That's the response. They ask a really strange question, why did you free me from slavery? Because that's, as soon as they saw that, it reminded them of who they've always been told that they are. As soon as they see, even though they've been set free, they see Egypt and they go back to being slaves. In their minds and in their hearts. And they ask them, did you bring us here to die? Because in the subtext of that statement is obviously there is no life here. Obviously, there is nothing here for me. So obviously, death is the only thing. And I was wondering where this story is in your life. I think this story is incredibly powerful because it applies to all of our lives. I mean, maybe for you, it was a relationship. You've been hurt before and you say, you know what? Um, this relationship thing isn't for me. It hurt too much the first time. I'm just going to focus on myself, you know, and then you meet somebody and you say, oh, they're great. I trust them. They're wonderful. I, I feel this way when I'm around them. Maybe they're the, the one. And then as soon as you open up yourself, you've torn down these walls that you've spent so long putting up and all of a sudden you get hurt again. You either get cheated on or they just leave. Your heart gets broken again and you think, oh yeah, 
That's it. I forgot. I'd been distracted, but that's, that's who I am. I'm unlovable. Silly me for thinking anything different. Maybe for you, it's following a dream. Saying, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open that business that I always wanted to open. Or I'm going to go back to school for this. And all of a sudden, things just don't work out. And you, you're left s- sitting there thinking, why? Like, what did I do here? I felt led into this. Like, how come I am the one that needs to fail here? Because I felt so much hope, and then that reminded me, oh yeah, I'm just, it's just who I am. And this is an incredibly poignant moment for me, just because it's, it's, this is definitely a story in my own life. I used to have a panic disorder in high school. I used to have a heart abnormality that my pulse was like around 40, and would drop into the 20s when I was sleeping, which is way low. And yeah, I was like, I thought I, w- I was tired as a high school kid, and I just thought that's because I was busy, but apparently not. And um, anytime I stood anywhere too long, um, in one place, just kind of, you know, constricted, I'd pass out, fall over, and, you know, blood circulation, not great. And I was also a choir kid, which <laughs> one and one make two. And music was it for me. It was fantastic. I loved it. And um, this, this, this heart thing got better. I was taking medicine for it, had an implanted monitor. And we're figuring it out. It was fine, not life-threatening. But the thing that really was terrible about it was not the heart abnormality, because I still live with that. But the, the panic disorder came because I, I grew fearful of when it was going to happen again. And so I, it had never touched me when I was singing. The music was my thing. God wanted me to be a musician, so there's no way that that could break into my life. And I stand up there in the spring concert, or like big concert of the year in high school, my junior year, and there I wake up backstage. I'd fallen on a friend, actually. But anybody who's ever passed out knows that it's like the worst feeling because you wake up and you have no idea what happened. And one of the most awful moments of my life was realizing that was realizing that that had creeped into my life to a part that I was never going to let anything touch it. And all of a sudden, that's what it was. And so I became really fearful of performing, and I had gone into um, a summer camp for, for singing and different things and performing, and I performed over the summer. I kicked it. I'm like, yeah, that was just a fluke. And then there was so much hope, and the fall concert that next year, I was standing up there, and Anybody who's ever passed out knows. For me, for me, you feel it different ways. But for me, that is my fingers fall asleep. And it's like kind of your vision is like a little bit close, like more closed. And then there's a light that's just buzzing in the back of your head. And all of a sudden, after I'd kicked that, I stood there and my fingers fall asleep. There it is. Started to started to close out, started to panic, you know, there it is, there it is, there it is, and passed out again. And I was, I had just accepted in my senior year a big music scholarship from a, from a college in Des Moines at Drake, and I was a music major that could not get on stage. What do you do with that? I was looking at college thinking, you know, this was my identity in high school. Any high school kid knows it's hard. That was it for me. And so it reminded me, oh, I wanted to be a performer, but yeah, you're that kid. You're, you're the kid with the heart problem. 
you're the kid, you can't be in front of people because you're going to fall over. Like, that's who you are. Sorry about it. And we all know what it's like to see Egypt come over the hill. We all know what it's like to have hope. Maybe you're having a good day. Maybe you're having a good year. Maybe you're just having a really good few years, you know? You had left whatever that is behind, and then all of a sudden, there it is again, and you're reminded, not in truth, but you let that take hold of you and say, oh yeah, that's my identity. How silly was I to ever think it was anything different? And in this situation, Moses speaks truth then in a way that is so freeing Moses says to the people, he turns to them after they've exclaimed this thing, and they've said, he says to them, do not be afraid. Now, we've heard that before in the Exodus story. Non-rhetorical question, where have we heard that before? At the burning bush. Yes, thank you. And um, it's the first thing that God says to Moses, is Moses, do not be afraid. And now Moses is telling that to his people. Those are God's words. Do not be afraid. He says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. The most beautiful part, he says, you need only to be still. So often when we see that come over the hill, we try to take back control of it. We say, okay, fine, God obviously isn't interested in helping me, so let me do it. I'm gonna, Mike has said before one of, his, one of his things that he struggles with is trying to be a doer, to try to do things, and I'm definitely the same way because I thought to myself, you know what, I'm gonna, I need to figure this out, you know what I mean? Like I need to just, maybe it's caffeine or something, maybe I need to figure this problem. I tried to manufacture all these solutions to, to a problem that could not be solved any other way. And we might not be able to see outside of our own situations. We might not be able to see how God is going to help us out of that. The Israelites didn't, obviously, from what they said. They said, just kill us now, basically. They didn't expect to turn around and watch the sea open up. Moses tells them, do not be afraid. That thing that you see, that thing over there that's defined you your entire life, you're never going to see that again. And for the Israelites, they didn't. They didn't see those Egyptians again. But Egypt still haunted them. Obviously, if you read the end of, of Exodus and into the next books of, of the Exodus story, is those guys struggled with being slaves. That was their identity through this entire thing. Anytime that they fell, it's because they were worried, because they were slaves still in their hearts. I met with, um, I met Rabbi Allen, so he does exist. <laughs> For, you know, and Micah, I, I, my, my Hebrew is not on point with Micah's. I do get excited like Micah does a little bit, not quite as much. Who does? But... <laughs> Who can, but um, 
But I will still give you a Rabbi Allen quote because I got to meet him this last week and what, what a fantastic guy. I met him and Micah goes, hey Chris, you know your uh, sermon on, a, on an Old Testament passage? You got half an hour to talk over a, uh, the Exodus passage with the rabbi. And I said, no way. Because <laughs> he, he could, I said, oh I, yeah, I'm preaching on this and he speaks the words, like can name it because he's basically the thing memorized. It's, he's an incredible man in one of the things he pointed out to me, he said, Chris, did you know, and I didn't, but did you know that at the places that they list, those two names of cities that I've completely murdered when I was reading through the passage, did you know that those two places are still in Egypt? He said, did you know that even though it says that they're out in the wilderness, this is right when they first leave, that they're still technically in Egypt? So even though that they've been set free, technically, they haven't left Egypt yet, so they're technically still slaves. And I was like, that's, that's really interesting. And So they were freed in their hearts. They were freed by the words of Pharaoh, but they hadn't left yet. They looked over and they were reminded, and that's where it was for them. They're, they were slaves, and they were still slaves. And then the, the verse, that, the thing that happens right after our reading today is where the thing that we all know with Charlton Heston, he opens the water. and um, He doesn't, Moses doesn't hear them crying and turn and <laughs> says to them, don't worry guys, I got this, and then turns around and opens the water. That's not, that's not how it happened. God asked Moses, why are, why are you people crying out to me? Step into the water. The water wasn't parted when they stepped in. They, when they stepped in that water for the first time, they did not know that they were going to be okay. They had no idea. But they were still in an internal sense, and then they stepped out into the water. They didn't know how God was going to save them, but they went out anyway. And the waters were parted for them. I went out the Christmas concert after my my, uh, after the fall concert that I had passed out, our next one was a Christmas concert. And I had my tux on, was, knew all my music, and I stood backstage, and this was on, the, like, shaking physically, like, could not stand, just terrified. I said to God, God, I need you now, because obviously this is not something that I can do by myself. So we walk out, and... The thing that I want to get across this morning is I walked out there and there it is. Fingers falling asleep and buzzing. But but I stood there and we sang Psalm twenty three. I'm not this sounds like a movie, but it's not. I'm not lying. The uh Psalm we sang Psalm twenty three in Hebrew, and the last word in this arrangement of it was the word for God's spirit, which is Elohim. And we sang that in like stillness just took over. I just remember thinking that that's still there. But it, I was saved from that. That didn't have to be who I was because God tells me that I'm somebody else. While our versions of Egypt will continually, continually pursue us, we don't ever get free of some of those things. 
while, it while our Egypts will always pursue us, God will always part the waters for us. All we need to know, and all we need to do is to be still and then step out. I didn't know if I was going to be okay, but I trusted that God was going to be okay. This isn't a magic formula. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that, there, that that solves all problems. Because even though God took care of the, the, those Egyptians in the most fantastic way, like fantastical type of way possible, they still dealt with it. But all we need to do is be still, step into the future, and know that our God is telling us who we really are. So I'll invite the band back up, and I will, uh, I'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the things that you tell us about ourselves. Thank you for it not being, thank you for it not being what the world tells us or that those doubts tell us, God. We thank you for all of the things that you do for us. Help us when it's hard to make the choice to be better. Help us to know who we really are in you, God, and help us to be able to show that love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thank you for being here today. May we all, in all circumstances, know who we are. Not the lies that we've taught ourselves. Not these lives that we've settled for. That it's just good enough. But may we see who we are in God's eyes. Because God has a way better imagination than all of us. Help us to take these identities with us in all times, Sundays and outside of it as well. Thank you for all being here. Grace and peace. Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.